last week I called it like pushing the reset button. You know, if, 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 if this isn't how you perceive Christianity, then look at these scriptures and, and in that area of your, of your faith, push the reset button, push the reset button, push the reset button. I'm going to start with the gospel. And then I'm going to talk about how, you, how the gospel is responded to. And then I'm going to talk about what a Christian looks like that's responded to the gospel. What should be different? What should they look like? What should church, all that stuff to the point of, you know, however much, you know, I'm deep enough to be able to do so that then we can reflect the scripture as a city on a hill to the world that needs to see Jesus through his body, okay? All right, so the, the conversation about the gospel is, I'm gonna start it from a kind of a different perspective. And then next week, I'll actually pretend like I'm sharing the gospel. And then I'm gonna take the component pieces of the gospel and support them scripturally so that you can see why each and every one of them is a necessary component to the gospel. That's where we're headed right now. Let me start today then in Romans 1.16. And the topic is the gospel, but it's, it's from a perspective of what the gospel isn't, I guess would be a good way to say it. Romans 1.16, the apostle Paul speaking, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. There's a guy in the Bible study over here on Monday nights, the young adults Bible study that is sharp as a tack. Don't agree with him everything theologically, but he is sharp as a tack. And we were uh, reading Romans chapter 10 And he said, I would tell you this. If you have not heard the gospel, you are not saved. I thought, wow, that's a pretty in-your-face statement. And I thought about it a minute. It's like, if you haven't heard the gospel, how could you be saved? What would you have responded to if not the gospel? I thought, wow, that was pretty impressive. If you haven't heard the gospel, you're not saved. I don't care how long you've been to church. I don't care how many good deeds you did. If you didn't hear the gospel, then you didn't respond to the gospel, and you're not saved. That's a reasonable statement, I think, that you could make. So the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So there's a qualifier right there. You don't just need to hear the gospel. You have to respond to the gospel and believe. Romans 10, 13 through 17, again, the Apostle Paul speaking. And this is kind of like um, the scriptures. It's after the part in Romans 10 where he describes how he preaches the gospel and what the response to the gospel is. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a little bit farther down from that. And it's kind of where a missionary would hang their head. It's a thing that would stir somebody with a missionary's heart. For, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This faith that's that's being talked about here is not general faith. It's probably a principle that you could hang your head on, that if your faith is weak and you read the scriptures, your faith would increase. I wouldn't argue that that's true, but that's not what he's talking about here. Faith he's talking about here is saving faith. The, the faith that is responding to the gospel that brings about the power of God unto your salvation. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ or the word concerning Christ. So he's talking about the gospel. How are they going to get saved if nobody tells them? The messenger is really important because if nobody shares, 
then nobody hears. They can't get saved if they didn't respond to the gospel. Well, what are they going to say? The word concerning Christ. What is the word concerning Christ? That's the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about right here in this section of scripture. Let me just read to you some of the comments that I have in here. Believing is key to the gospel. Only sincere response produces the righteousness of God that the gospel offers. But the sincere response must be the act to the actual gospel without addition or subtraction in context. And in context is important, and that's not today's message, but I want to touch on it for just a minute. In context is like you're going to share the gospel with somebody and you ask them if they believe in God. And they say, yes. See, I was on an airplane as a baby Christian with a Muslim guy sitting right next to me. And, and I know I'm, I'm so dumb. I'm so ignorant, better word to say. I'm thinking that guy's my enemy because, you know, we're on different teams, right? He's on the, he's on the Allah team and I'm on the God team. And, and you know, we, we're fighting against each other because, you know, we got these gods that don't like each other or something because I don't know anything from nothing at this point. And he says, no, no, I believe in God. It's the same God. There's just, just different paths to get to God. You know, I find him through this path. Somebody else finds him through Buddha. Somebody else finds him through this one. You find him through Christ. It's beautiful. I was so encouraged. Wow, this is great, man. We're all brothers. I went home and told Pastor Jim, guess what? Muslims are cool. That's just a different way to get to God. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. How much time I got to spend with this guy? <laughs> the point is, there's only one God. So when Teresa, she had her testimony a, a month or so ago, when she's like, Pat, you're scaring me. Am I saved? I'm like, I can't imagine you're not saved. She said, share the gospel with me. I started off, do you believe in God? She looked at me like, of course I do. I said, which God? Because there's lots of gods that people believe in, but there's only one true God, and there's only one God that the gospel speaks to. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of the Hebrews, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So context is really important. When you ask somebody, do you believe in God? I mean, they might believe the tree is God. They're a who knows what kind of thing, the new agey person. Yeah, I believe in God. Okay, great. Let's go on to step two. Wait, wait a minute. Who's God? Well, we're all God. I'm God. You're God. It's like, okay, wait a minute. We need to back up because that part of the gospel is not in the right context yet. Context is really important. Now, Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, give you a perspective. If you, if you think of these scriptures, which maybe you haven't thought of them in this way, but, but look through this lens as you hear the rest of this. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. See, the one who, whose gospel isn't the gospel didn't find the narrow way. They didn't find Jesus Christ. They found something else. And then in Luke chapter 13, there's a similar thing, but I love the, the, the different perspective that Luke 13 gives us. It says this. Then someone said to him, speaking to Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Well, one of the reasons they're not able is because they're responding to a gospel that's not the gospel. And when he says strive, he's, he's using the Greek word whose um, trans, I think this is the right way to say it, transliteration is agonozami, to agonize. He's like, agonize. Don't be casual about this. Strive, agonize. Be certain that the door that you're actually pursuing 
is the door that actually leads to life. Because it's not every door. It's not a good person. It's not any of that stuff. It's the one who, re- who properly responds to the gospel itself. And, and I don't know where the best, best place for this. It might be next week, but I put it in here today. If, if the object of the gospel is to bring people to salvation, salvation from what? From what are we saved? In Romans, again, chapter 5 and verse 9, we get the answer. Uh, Apostle Paul speaking again, much more than having now been justified by his, Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's what your salvation is from, the wrath of God. It's not from hell, it's not from the lake of fire, which are expressions of the wrath of God. Your salvation is literally that you were under wrath. You lived in the kingdom of darkness, you were going to die in the kingdom of darkness, and you were be under God's judgment and wrath for all of eternity. So when you respond to the true gospel with the proper response, what you're saved from is the wrath of God. And you are restored into a loving and eternal relationship with him through his son. Okay, so... How important is it to present the full gospel? Let me give you two examples of why it's so important. You cannot add to the gospel and you cannot subtract from the gospel and think that what you've presented is the gospel. Let me start with um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, this was, a, this was a cool revelation to me that happened when we were in one of our Bible studies actually you know, reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, he planted this church, he, he pastored this church for a while, he appointed elders in this church, now he's off on his missionary journeys, and he's dealing with all the screwy stuff that's coming up in the Corinthian church. Paul says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. He presented the gospel. They responded to it. They're saved as a result of the gospel. What comes next? Very, very big word in the scriptures. If, if, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul preached the gospel. They received, they responded to the gospel in an appropriate way. They are now standing in the gospel. Their stand before God is in the gospel that they properly responded to. They are saved by that gospel which he preached. Now he's telling them if. See, they already know what he's addressing. He already knows what he's about to address, but we don't know this, right? I'm just Pat Brady reading the Bible. I read this, and then the next thing talks about resurrection. And and I had never made a good connection between these scriptures. If you hold fast to the gospel preached, you start to pick a different gospel, all bets are off. So his concern is changing the gospel from that which was preached, specifically, and we're about to see this, not believing in the physical resurrection of Christ. The result, their belief is in vain. It's like, I know what being in vain means, but I I thought, I don't know that I could define it. I looked it up. To, To have something in vain is to have it to no avail. Something in vain is something that produces nothing, and it has no result. So when Paul says, listen, you who were preached this gospel, who responded to this gospel, who are standing and are saved by this gospel, if you stand fast in the gospel that was preached to you, unless your belief changes such that it's to no avail, it produces nothing, and it's without result. Now let me read on what comes next in 1 Corinthians, starting in verse 3. 
For I, Paul again speaking, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So now he's giving them this kind of quick gospel summary that he preached to them. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus was buried. Why? Because he was truly dead. He was raised and resurrected on the third day, all according to the scriptures. Now, remember, what are his scriptures? It's the Hebrew Bible. It's not the New Testament. He literally doesn't even probably realize he's writing the New Testament. He built, taught, preached, proclaimed Jesus based upon the prophecies in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So he's telling them, this is the gospel I shared with you. He's summarizing it according to the scriptures. And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12. After he, now he's dealing with their, their being taught that there's no resurrection. After that, he, Jesus, appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom still remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God by the grace of God, excuse me, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached or preach and so you believed. The gospel declared or preached, the gospel responded to or believed. Verse 12, now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also vain. It produces nothing. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. The gospel is not ask Jesus into your heart and repeat after me. That's not the gospel. That might be how you respond to the gospel after you've understood the gospel, but the, the, the asking Jesus into your heart is no place in the scriptures, not as a prophecy, not as a teaching in the New Testament. It's not the gospel to ask Jesus into your heart and then repeat after somebody a prayer. The prayer might be excellent in its response to the gospel, but you gotta know what you're responding to. The gospel has specific content, and that content requires context. Without the presentation, in this case, of the resurrection and belief in it, there's no gospel, there's no power, there's no salvation. Let me go back now and read to you verses 1 and 2 after 3 through 19. So 3 through 19 says, hey, listen, somebody is teaching you that there's no resurrection. If your faith becomes that really people aren't resurrected, this is the outcome because he gave them the answer before he told them the problem. Let me read you the answer again. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. He said if, if a man or an angel or even me 
preaches any gospel other than the gospel that I preached to you at first, let them be accursed. See, he's saying you can't change the gospel. You have to stand in the gospel that was presented to you from the scriptures. And in, in that standing, you are saved and you stay saved. The minute you change, in this case, you subtract something from the gospel. What's being subtracted? Belief that there is a resurrection, that Jesus Christ has actually been resurrected from the dead. You remove that from your belief. You take that from the gospel. He says, then what you have left is vain. It produces nothing. So this is an example that the gospel cannot be subtracted from and still be the gospel. Does that make sense? Can you see it from the scriptures? Okay. Let me give you an example of adding to the gospel. The gospel can't be enhanced and it can't be subtracted from. Let me give you an example of of adding to the gospel and then causing it not to be the gospel anymore. This is from Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to read to you uh, verses 1 through 5, but I'm going to read verse 1 and then I'll carry on with the rest. Paul says to the church at Galatia, I think this is in response to what's called the Judaizers, right? There were these people, these teachers these deceived teachers, whether they were trying to be deceptive or they were just deceived, I don't know. But these teachers that came into the Roman province of Galatia and they were teaching the Christians that, oh my gosh, here you are Christians, but don't you know you can't be a Christian because Christianity comes from Judaism. You can't be a Christian until you're a Jew first. So you would become what what the Bible calls a proselyte. You weren't born of Abraham's biological blood, but you could be in Abraham's faith by, by confessing your allegiance to the law and following all its practices and, and literally being bathed clean, and you could become a Jew, which is called a proselyte. That's what's happening in Galatia, and Paul is finding out about it. Now he's sending a letter back there, and he's responding to this false teaching, okay? He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Do you hear the same theme as what he said to the Corinthian church? Now, what's the yoke of slavery that he's talking about? It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Now, keep standing. Don't retake a yoke of bondage. The yoke of bondage that he's talking about is the law. The Jews are under the law. They break it, they make sacrifices, animals die, incense, all these different things. They get themselves right with God again, and then they break it, and they keep doing this thing over and over and over again. But Scripture says that when Jesus was offered as the perfect and spotless Lamb of God, it was done once and for all because there was no need to ever make another sacrifice because the sacrifice was perfect. And if your faith was in that sacrifice, it was done once and for all. So don't retake this bondage of the law. Now, In order to be right with God, the word is called righteous. To be righteous before God, there's only two ways to be righteous before God. In the righteousness that is God's very own righteousness that's imputed to you through faith in Jesus Christ, through through responding to the gospel, you can be righteous before God, go to heaven and live eternally with him. The other way you can be righteous before God is in your own goodness. Having never sinned, being perfect, never violated God in any way, you could have what's called self-righteousness. Except the Bible teaches us that nobody has self-righteousness. So there's only two options. Either you did it yourself or Jesus did it for you. By faith, you trusted in Jesus and you're righteous before God or you did it yourself, but you never did it yourself. You've already blown that one. That's not an option anymore. Okay, so now we read on. Behold, I, Paul, say say to you that if you receive circumcision, 
Christ will be of no benefit to you. See, the sign of, of, the, of the Jew, of the male Jew, I don't know, the, the women got off on this one, but the, the male had to be circumcised. A L- little bit of surgery that the man has to have, and that's, that's the sign. For us, it's circumcision as well, only it's a circumcision of the heart. When the Holy Spirit becomes present inside of you, your heart is circumcised, and, and you become righteous before God in Christ Jesus, sealed with his spirit, okay? But pre-Jesus, you needed circumcision. Paul says, if you take on circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision. Now he's talking to Christians that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. So you can't take on the sign of the law and not be required to keep the law. All right, he goes on, he says, you have been, let me get this back in context. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So in the previous example, in the Corinthians church, they subtracted faith in the resurrected Christ from the gospel. In the Galatian church, they were adding something necessary beyond Jesus's work at the cross to the gospel. And what Paul is saying to these guys is, listen, you're either under grace or you're under law. You're not under grace and a little bit of law. If you're not under grace, you're under all of the law. So what they were doing, they could say, no, 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 we just trust completely in Jesus. Then why are you being circumcised? Well, because these guys told us that, but we still trust Jesus. And Paul's saying, you don't understand, you're deceived. The minute you take on circumcision as a function of your salvation, you have fallen from grace. You are saved by grace through faith, right? He says, you don't have that grace anymore because you've added, you said Jesus and his work at the cross, his perfect life, him being tested in every way that any man would ever be tested and passing the test, him paying, remember what's the price for your sin? It's the wrath of God, it's what you have to be. All the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for every person's sin. He received it. He was dead. He was all the way dead, dead, and he was resurrected. And, and we know that he was perfect. Why? Because he was resurrected. Because the scripture says the wages of sin is death. Had Jesus had any little teeny closet sin, he'd still be in the tomb because death would have owned him. But he didn't. And we know that in the resurrection. That's why the resurrection has to be part of the gospel. So Paul is saying to these guys, listen, I had to deal with Corinth. Those guys wanted to subtract the resurrection from the gospel. Now they're trying to teach you that you've got to add some measure of keeping the law to be saved. So when somebody says to you, hey, listen, you know, if you want to be saved, it's cool, but you've got to be a good person to be saved. You say, no, don't say this. Get behind me, Satan. But that's who's speaking. Because see, the minute you start to have to be a good person to be saved, then you're relying on yourself. And what's your righteousness going to have to be? Self-righteousness. But guess what? Your garment's already stained. You can't get the stain out. The only way you can be righteous before God is to get a new garment. And the only garment offered is Jesus's garment of perfect righteousness. So here you have uh, situation number one. I preached to you this gospel. 
and you responded to it and you're standing in it and it's by that which you're saved. Unless you change it and you want less than the gospel and you don't believe in part of the gospel, then you, you, you're, you're, your faith was vain. It, it accounts for nothing. And now we go to, to Galatia and we find guys that are saying, hey, you know what? The gospel that you preached wasn't enough. These guys taught us it requires a little extra. And Paul says, guess what? The minute you add to the gospel, then you're under the law again. You've got to go figure out a way to demonstrate your own righteousness to God because you've fallen from grace. You've been severed from Christ. He's of no value to you anymore. Can you see the importance of the gospel being pure, right? If, if, if the Bible teaches that you can't be saved in a less than gospel and you can't be saved in a more than gospel, then the actual gospel must really be important, right? If somebody meets you on a street corner and says, hey, listen, have you heard the word of the Lord today? <laughs> That's what they used to say to me all the time. I'd go, oh, man, there goes another half hour of my life. <laughs> and now I thank God for those people. As, 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 as wrong as maybe their presentation was, their, their heart was great. And, and they would say things like, you know, if you just ask Jesus into your heart, you can be saved and you can go to heaven. And that's just not true because they would not have presented to me the gospel. If, if I can subtract the resurrection and not have salvation in that gospel, or I can add circumcision and not have salvation in that gospel, how can, if you ask Jesus into your heart and say a prayer, how can that be the gospel that you can, re- you can respond to unto salvation? It can't. And I know that's going to grind some folks. But I'm just telling you, If you read the scriptures, the gospel is the gospel. It's all that God offers to us to be saved. There isn't any extra gospel. There's no gospel light. There's only the gospel. And if we're going to go and do what we're commanded to do, right? Go out and declare the gospel to all of creation. (laughs) Heaven forbid it should be the gospel, right? Okay. I probably said all this, but let me just check my notes. (laughs) Okay, I said all this. Just, I mean, you know, if you think I'm all wet, don't, don't tell me in front of a crowd I'm all wet. But <laughs> if, it, if it makes any sense to you, give me some kind of a response. Because maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, hang on a minute. You know, I responded to ask Jesus into your heart and I got saved. And now this is what happened to me on that crazy Wednesday night. Are you telling me I'm not saved? I'm not telling you anything about your own salvation. You've got to figure that out, right? Work it out yourself with fear and trembling before the Lord in his word. Take what I say however you want. But I'm telling you that you, you may have not responded to the gospel, felt like you were saved, and at some point you actually had the response in your heart to the gospel. You'd heard enough scripture. You didn't even realize that you became, I think that's possible because I think that's how I got saved. I raised my hand. I did what everybody else did. I raised my hand. Somebody said, hey, brother, that's awesome. Can we pray with you? I said, I, I, I mean, I don't know nothing from prayer. I never prayed. I don't know any of this stuff. But people started calling Teresa, calling me. Hey, whoa, big day yesterday. You got saved. I'm like, I did? I raised my hand. I repeated after the guy. I'm telling you, I didn't get saved. But I never actually had that, that concrete, absolute, discrete, check every box to the gospel thing before I got saved either. So somehow I came into agreement with the gospel and was saved. I don't know whether you're saved or not. I mean, I hope that everybody here is saved. 
But we should, when we go out and we speak to people about knowing Jesus, we need to present the gospel that the Bible presents and give them the opportunity to respond or not. That's not our problem. Our problem is to present the gospel in truth. And then God, with his spirit, will be drawing them to his son, and they'll choose which life they want. Right? Romans says lots and lots of them, they chose darkness. They wanted darkness instead of light. That's what they chose. And, and Matthew and Luke 13 says most everybody's going to choose that. Our report card isn't based upon how they respond, how persuasive we are at selling it, how much emotion we can stir up. Our job is to present the pure, true gospel. And so that's where we're going to go next week. Next week, I'm going to just present the gospel as if you're just some guy that said, hey, you know, I heard you know something about Jesus. Tell me about it. Is there really a heaven? Is there really a hell? And and I'm going to give you my best shot at the gospel. And then the following however long, we'll take each piece. And and, and you don't have to be intimidated by the gospel. The Bible says when you have that situation come forward, he's going to give you the words to say. And and I'm going to give you enough context like I did about God. Do you believe in God? Well, of course I believe in God. Which God do you believe in? Well, is there more than one? Yes, you know, in people's minds. But in order to be saved, you have to believe in the real God. Otherwise, who are you getting saved from, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I'd like to go to heaven. What's, who's that? All right, I'm rambling. You've been a wonderful time.